can get to sleep. I think about the implications of diving in too deep, and possibly the complications, especially at night. I worry over situations. I know we'll be all right. Perhaps it's just imagination. No, huh? What does Collective Soul and Colin Hay have to do with where you're going? Well, it's nothing. Nothing. I just wanted to put them on there, so there they are. And before we get into something that I really wanted to get into, I'm going to give my dear friends. Fantastic Cruising, a huge shout-out about their first official group cruise. If you want to join us and all all the members of the Fantastic Cruising community and our dear friends Matt and Kimbra and Tony and everyone else and Meg and everyone who's part, and Stacy, everyone who's part of their community and our community on their first official group cruise, it's going to be from March 12th to the 19th of 2023. Give Matt and Kimbra an email at fantastictravel at gmail.com. Give them a shout out. Send them an email. Let them know you're going to join up. Meet us. Meet Matt and Kimbra. Meet all their wonderful community. Meet our community. It's going to be so awesome and so much fun. And I wish I could say the name of the ship right now because it's a shooting. Just as I started talking, it just shot right on my head. So, my apologies to everyone. But yeah, go sign up for them. Shoot Matt and Kimber an email. FantasticTravel at gmail.com Let them know you're going to join. And March 12th to 19th of 2023. And it's you'll meet us. You'll meet, like I said, you'll meet Matt and Kimber and all both of our amazing communities. So yeah, join up. It's going to be fun. You'll love it. And where I wanted to go... And something was really, really interesting to me. We were just talking about it. And I've wondered, like, history, if you can find them. And I've wondered a lot about the elves. The elves of Middle-earth. Of Tolkien's Middle-earth. And where they might have come from and famous elves. And a little bit of how Tolkien established their history. And all that kind of cool stuff. It's very, very interesting. And a lot of names kind of came back to me. You know, Galadriel, Legolas, Elrond, Arwen, all sorts of all sorts of other really cool names. Now, I as the second I started thinking of Arwen, I started went I immediately went to Eowyn. And as you look, you hear you hear her name and you think Eowyn, well she's got to be kind of elf. Well, from what I've looked up and what I've read, she's not. It's she's human. So, but in that and that in itself is kind of funny because when I looked up and did some research on Aon, it said race. It, it listed race that she was within Middle Earth, and said man. Well, you kind of look at it and go, well, she's not man. She's human, but she's not man. Now I get. I get where you're, I get where they're coming from, what they were going for, but it's really interesting the whole history of the elves and what 
it talks about and what's kind of really, really intriguing and really, really interesting. And it's and you read and you try to delve into it, and it's really, it's it's just like I said, it's just an amazing thing. There, they are a very, they're very interesting construct of fantasy worlds. The term can refer to two different beings depending on the story in question. Elves from the Elder Scrolls or Fae from Carnival Row aren't the same as Tinkerbell or the indentured servants of Santa's workshop. The point is, in the term elf, it can indicate a few generally accepted attributes. Elves vary dramatically from one legendarium to the next, but we're going to on all the research that I've done through Looper and Wikipedia, we're going to kind of focus on, like I said, Tolkien's. Among what we're going to go into are the elves of Middle-earth. And they're heavily in, as we know, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. And, of course, the Silmarillion. In other words, without them, well, duh, the entire world wouldn't exist. It's... It's hard to imagine, if you want to understand, the backstory of them. It helps to start with a quick rundown of the world that they walked into. The history of Middle-earth goes way back, tens of thousands of years before the elves ever set foot on the continent. In these early days, Arda, that is, the world, was created by, U- created by Iluvatar, his servants the angelic Valar, enter with a task to shape and protect it from the dark lord Morgoth, Sauron's original master. Speaking of when we're going on a side note about Sauron, I often call the Cheesecake Factory, I call that Sauron's restaurant, and you're probably going, huh? You're probably giggling like, like, what are you talking about? If you go to the Cheesecake Factory and you sit in the booths, throughout the restaurant there's little dividers in between the sections of the booths and on top of those walls the divider walls there's little there's a the thing that looks like the eye of Sauron and I then that's kind of why I call it Sauron's restaurant I know you're going oh boy but eventually going back to the story here eventually ongoing world-shattering wars with Morgoth lead and good guys to let the Dark Lord run loose on the central continent of Middle-earth while they withdrew west across the sea. Here they build a heavenly new home in the heart of a continent referred to thereafter as the Blessed Realm. Right when I stretched my elbow there, it popped. So you heard, you probably heard the little pop in the background and that was my elbow popping. I just it's just funny that it occurs at the least convenient times but that's what it happens when you get older as you age while this relocation works for the moment critically the Valar also know that sooner or later Iluvatar is going to send an unknown but important group of people he refers to as his children into the world to inhabit it and they must be prepared to receive them. With that in mind, one of the Valar, named Varda, 
creates bright new stars and hangs them in the sky to light the path for these mysterious children when they arrive. The concept of the children of Iluvatar comes up a lot in the Silmarillion. In essence, these children are unique creations with souls of their own. In other words, their peers, albeit dramatically smaller and weaker peers, of their angelic brethren, not to be shaped or molded as part of the larger creation, but rather to cohabitate in the world with them. While the, Val while the Valar are told that these children will eventually come into existence, they aren't told the time and place of that arrival. The elves are the first of the children to arrive, giving them the name of the firstborn or the elder children. They're followed thousands of years later by man or humans, also known as the followers of the aftercomers. When he creates them, Iluvatar declares that the elves in particular will be the fairest of all earthly creatures, and they shall have the greater, the greater bliss in the world. As they arrive, each of the children become focal points in the struggle between Morgoth and the Valar. Some stay true to their creator, while others, both elves and men, are corrupted and end up fighting against their brethren. As soon as Varda finishes creating the new stars for the firstborn, they awake out of the vastness of Middle-earth next to a lake cleverly called I'm going to butcher this, called C-U-I-V-I-E-N-E-N, -E -E or the Water of Awakening. The first things that these elves see and hear are the stars and flowing water, and they're instantly entranced by both sight and sound. Over time, they create language and call themselves the Quendi, the Quendi. Meaning being, meaning being, why can't I say the word being? Creating. Meaning, meaning beings that speak with voices. Morgoth is aware of these newcomers first, and he causes some mischief. But eventually, one of the Valar arrives and names the elves the Eldar, E-L-D-A-R, meaning the people of the stars. The elves spend an undesignated but clearly lengthy amount of time hanging out by the Lake of Awakening, enjoying the running water and the bright stars overhead. However, the Dark Lord is still at large, and the Valar finally decide that something must be done to protect the firstborn. Before we get too delved into the history of the elves, we're going to take a quick detour to talk about a group of people that are rumored to be the same, to, rumored to be the sum of their direct relatives. The orcs. The orcs and goblins of Tolkien's world never receive too much attention, and multiple versions of their origins are given in different places. Peter Jackson even took the liberty in his adaptation, assuming that the Ur is assume assuming that the Urukai 
were born in the some born in some sort of festering mud pit. Which come on, Peter. What the heck? The most common version of the genesis of the orcs, though, comes here at the beginning of Elven history. As they wake up and chill out around the lake in the darkness under the stars, Morgoth is the first to find them, which is obviously not good news for these poor creatures that don't even know who they are yet. In the Silmarillion, it explains that Morgoth sent shadows and evil spirits to spy, spy upon the elves and way they, waylay them. So it came to pass that if any of the elves strayed far abroad, alone or together, they would often vanish and never return. It then adds that the elves believed that those who were captured and were put under Morgoth's prisons were put in Morgoth's prisons, where they, where, where they were corrupted and enslaved by slow arts of cruelty. Eventually, this enables Morgoth to breed the hideous race of the orcs in envy and mockery of all elves, of whom they were afterwards the bittersweet foes. With the elves awake and wandering through Middle-earth, and Morgoth prowling about, it quickly becomes apparent that something must be done to protect the elder children. The Falar hold a council and decide that they should stop their enemy dead in his tracks. This leads to an epic slugfest between the Valar and Morgoth in which the Dark Lord is overthrown and captured. After this, the Valar summon the elves to come live with them in the Blessed Realm. This invitation is accepted by some elves and rejected by others who prefer life under the stars and in the wide open spaces. This leads to the first split between the elves, as much of them begin to migrate west while, while a minority stay put in their original homeland. As the migrating elves travel toward their new home, they begin to shrink as chunks of elves peel off for various reasons. However, a large core of the nomads eventually reach the westward coast and are transported across the sea on to an island, officially relocating to the Blessed Realm in the process. It's this period of migration and shuffling around that creates the most confusion within Tolkien's elves. As groups stay and go, sorry, yawning. As groups stay and go, split off or dawdle on the road, it creates several different branches. Trying to sort through all the information can finally totally become overwhelming. But I've tried to boil things down to a few important names and events. Hopefully some of you can follow this. It got a little fuzzy around me sometimes, for me sometimes. As I mentioned, the elves are initially split when most of them chose to, to migrate westward. The migrants are further split into three subgroups, the first of which, called the, Van, called the Vanyar and the Noldor, Noldor, reached the Blessed Realm intact. The third group, 
called the Teleri, is larger, but it loses many of its members along the way. Some are left behind around the Misty Mountains and become known as the Nandor, the branch of elves that eventually found both, both, both Lothlorien and the Woodland Realm in Mirkwood. Most of the rest of this group ends up settling down on the western coast of Middle-earth and become known as the Sindar. So, if everything's all said and done, you have elves who never migrated, various subgroups that, subgroups that settled along the way, and the two groups that made it to the Blessed Realm. Have you got all that? Because... I kind of don't. That's kind of foggy to me. <laughs> Fortunately, though, it's at this point that the family trees start to get left behind and the action picks up. After the Great Elvish Migration, a long period of time passes in which Morgoth is imprisoned and the elves thrive. However, after ages have passed, the Dark Lord is pardoned Really, the Dark Lord is pardoned. Hmm. After pretending to have changed his ways. He's a Dark Lord that should have occurred to someone. Released from prison, Morgoth begins to, sut to subtly corrupt the hearts of the elves in the Blessed Realm, especially the Noldor. One of these, named Fainor, creates three incredible jewels known as the Silmarils. Morgoth becomes particularly fixated on this powerful, aggressive elven lord. When a chance comes, Morgoth attacks the blessed, the blessed realm with his allies, with his ally, the monstrous spider spirit Ungoliant. In, his, in this attack, he destroys the continent's light source, two enormous glowing trees and then steals the, steals the Silmarils and escapes, furious at the treacherous act and persuaded by Morgoth, no less. The Valar can't protect his people. Fëanor convinces most of the Noldor elves to leave the Blessed Realm and head back to Middle-earth to get revenge and reclaim their jewels. As the elves arrive back in Middle-earth, the sun and moon officially rise for the first time, and the first age begins. This is the age that the Silmarillion primarily focuses on, and it primarily follows the Noldor and the Sindar in their struggle with Morgoth. The elves build giant cities, create huge armies, and generally do pretty well in the first stages of the war. How, however, over 500 plus years that the age lasts, they are slowly ground down by the power of Morgoth and his forces. The Dark Lord has countless orcs, armies of Balrogs, and numerous dragons at his disposal. Men, the aftercomers, also arrive at this time with some of them joining the elves and others joining Morgoth. Dwarves, who have already been around for a while by this time, 
get heavily involved in the action as well. Over time, Dark, the Dark Lord knocks out one kingdom after the other, until the elves, men, and dwarves fighting him are on the verge of extinction. At that point, the half-elven, half-man hero named Arendil, and the Mariner, boldly sails west and begs the Valar to help the rebellious elves and their allies. His request is granted, leading to the War of the Wrath, in which Morgoth is utterly defeated once and for all, and the entire western portion of the continent is drowned in catastrophic ruin. The ending of the First Age feels like the end of the story. However, it turns out to be a little more than an opening act. When the War of the Wrath ends, the elves who don't return west to the Blessed Realm head east, further into Middle-earth, where they set the stage for the Second Age to begin. During this age, they initially thrive, especially under their king under, under their king, under their king Gilgalad. However, about halfway through the age, they run into Morgoth, second in command. A name we all know. Sauron. Sauron approaches the elves in disguise, calling himself Anatar, the Lord of Gifts. Some of the elves bury into his buy into this fake persona. Especially a group living next to the dwarven kingdom of Khazad-dûm. Their leader hooks up with Anatar and together they forge a bunch of rings. The ring, the rings of power. After this, Sauron secretly secretly forges the one ring and attempts to control the elves with it. When this fails, Sauron attacks the elves and almost defeats them. However, they manage to hold on, helped by the powerful race of men known, known as the Num Numenorians. Finally, at the end of the age, the elves join the, with, the, with these men and form the last alliance depicted in the opening sequence of the Fellowship of the Ring, in which they topple Sauron and take his ring by force. Sauron's first great defeat at the hand of the Last Alliance ushers in the Third Age. This, in a, this is an age in which the elves, by and large, pass the baton of world leadership to the humans. While they still play an important role in ge geopolitical events, they are increasingly on the periphery. In their place, the realms of Gondor and its sister nation of Arnor take center stage, holding off the growing might of a resurgent Sauron and maintaining peace in the western lands of Middle-earth. Nevertheless, about a 3,000-year-long period of time had occurred had, uh, had a period of time here and the sorry I got tongue-tied on my nose there and the elves aren't sitting around twiddling their thumbs 
Throughout these centuries of decline, the three elven rings, eventually worn by Galadriel, Elrond, and Gandalf, were quietly used to help the free people to help the free people of Middle Earth. The elven stronghold of Rivendell continues to be important too. As Elrond heals the sick, provides wisdom for those in doubt, and even helps to fight off the threat of the Witch King. Witch King, that king. Sorry. The pun was there, I just had to take it. In the south, Galadriel and Celeborn helped to maintain the peace of the Lothlorien. The elven king Thranduil and Legolas Thranduil, Legolas's dad, rules a vibrant elven kingdom up in Mirkwood, too. Finally, in the northeast of the continent, the elven lord Sirden keeps the gray the gray havens open. where ships steadily set sail for the Blessed Realm, carrying weary elves to the heavenly safety of that ancient land. The War of the Ring, the events of the Lord of the Rings, close out the Third Age, and they eventually put the elves in a state of retirement. To recap, the elves had been the primary movers and shakers of the First Age. The Second and Third Ages had been a time in which the Elder Children had slowly taken a back seat to the rising power of the Aftercomers. Now, as the Fourth Age begins, with Aragorn ruling a powerful ancient, powerful reunited kingdom of humans, the Elves seek a retirement over the seas in the West. A few hints about his final parting process are recorded in Tolkien's writings. For instance, in the prologue to the Fellowship of the Rings, it is stated that after Elrond leaves Middle-earth, his sons long remained, together with some of the high elven folk. It is also added that Celeborn lives with them for a while after his wife, Galadriel, sets off, sets sail for the west. However, in the appendix to the return of the king, when Aragorn dies, Arwen claims A-R-W-E-N, that is Liv Tyler's character, Arwen claims that there is no ship that would bear me to the Blessed Realm, indicating that the elven safety valve, indicating that the elven safety valve to the blessed, blessed realm had officially closed. As far as the elves that linger in the Middle Earth and refuse to leave, Tolkien mentions in his later writing, particularly in the book Morgoth's Ring, that their bodies slowly fade and their spirits take over. Tolkien's elves are immortal. However, immortality is a tricky business and Tolkien takes quite a bit of time explaining how this deathless impact, deathlessness impacts things like having children and getting married, both of which they engage in slowly and rarely. He also spends quite a bit of time explaining how their immortality impacts elven lives over the tens of thousands of years 
of their existence. For instance, in the Silmarillion, he states that the elves remain until the end of the days, and the elves remain until the end of days. For the elves die not till the world dies, unless they are slain or waste in grief. He adds that even when their physical bodies die, their spirits are gathered into a very earth-bound location, ruled by one of the Valar named Mandos. Here they wait and occasionally are even given new bodies and go back into the world. However, while mortal men are given the gift of death and pass on from the world, it is interesting to note that in the Silmarillion, Tolkien also states that men will eventually join in the post-apocalyptic event known as the Second Music after the last battle. The elves, though, there's no confirmation that they that they'll actually that they'll be around at that point. With the book stating that Iluvatar has not revealed what per, what he purposes for the elves after the world's end. Finally, it's worth touching quickly on the question of the elves and magic. Tolkien's world never outlines a detailed system of magic. Sure, occasionally Gandalf is seen chanting a spell, but for the most part, magic is left mysterious and rarely described. This has led to Tolkien's elves being vaguely yet regularly connected to the use of magic. Feanor crafts jewels that contain self-sustaining light within them. Galadriel uses her fancy mirror to see the future. Celebrimbor creates the powerful three elven rings on his own without Sauron's help. Treebeard tells Merry and Pippin in the Two Towers that elves began it, of course, waking trees up and teaching them to speak to learn their tree talk. There is a lot about this that the interesting story and interesting history and the interesting legends of elves and what Tolkien considers their history and what their history has become. It's just, it's really interesting to figure out and to try and find out where all this comes from and how it ties into everything. It's just really, really, really amazing and really, really interesting and a lot of fun. So I just wanted to get into that and get through it and touch on it as much as I can. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for hanging around as long as you all have. Stick around for a little more on the end here. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out.
want to check out the best travel vlogger and videos anywhere, go to Atlantic City, Disney, Six Flags, all along the Atlantic City boardwalk, and go to Vegas. Check out the New York channel, N-U-Y-A-W-K, on YouTube. You will be thoroughly impressed and thoroughly entertained. You will love every second of what you're seeing. Go to YouTube and check out N-U-Y-A-W-K. You'll love what you're seeing. You'll enjoy every second of it. Want to check out the environment, the climate, the planet, and everything we can do to have an impact on it? Check out City Climate Corner on all the podcasting platforms, Apple Podcast, Spotify, on everything. You won't be disappointed. You'll enjoy and love what you're listening to.